Well, good morning. We are continuing to work our way through the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 4 this morning, uh, in the middle of chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Um, it's page 1038 um, in your pew Bible. You can also follow along in our uh, Brentwood Bible Church app as well. Um, but we're kind of talking about this new community, this all, new, all things are made new in that, and this new community that God has called us to is how we live. Um, Mike did a great job last week talking about unity and diversity and maturity, um, of how all of those things fit together, that we are unified in what we do in Christ. And because we are all different and come from different places and different backgrounds and different generations and different viewpoints, we are all united in Christ. And so our diversity actually helps us become more mature because we have different gifts, we have different um, talents, different ways to see even Scripture that help us to build a bigger picture of who God is and how we serve Him. And so we're talking, especially in chapter 4, um, as it says at the beginning, how to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. And so this, is, this, this section is sort of kind of a, a march to maturity um, of how we can become more mature. And this maturity happens together um, with all of us in this new community created by our salvation and our allegiance to Jesus. Right? It's a diverse group of people, and we need each other to learn and to grow. And so the goal, as we saw last week, is to equip each other to do ministry. And as we go through this section, and as Mike said, what we're looking at actually in this section is specific ways that God calls us to live as a new community. And so this week is going to be a little more general, but next week there's going to be some very specific things that Paul is going to ask us to do. And so let's read this together, Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. And it says this, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live and the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And so we'll be working our way through, and as you listen this morning, um, I think there's going to be two temptations to dismiss parts of this message. Um, if you are a long-time believer in Christ, you might be tempted to say, well, I became a Christian a long, long, long time ago. Some of you, before I was even alive, you became Christians. And so you've been doing this for a long time. And so you might be tempted to say, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I've already put off my old self. I am mature. But what we're going to see is this old self um, new self, put off, put on dynamic is not settled once for all with salvation, right? It's more like a continuum. It's a daily battle and struggle to put off the old and put on the new. It's never settled. Because of the weakness of our desires, we, were all, we are always on the verge of leaving on the old self and letting it rule us. And so if you're a believer for a long time and you feel like you're mature, there's still work to be done. 
But if you're on the other side, and maybe you're listening and you're not yet a believer, and you may be tempted to say, well, especially when we talk about the first part, right? my life really isn't that bad. I get to do whatever I want. I don't feel like I'm living a life of futility or danger because of what I'm doing or how I'm living. I get to do what I want, and it really isn't hurting anybody. And that may be true right now in this moment. But I wonder if sometimes you wonder what the point is. What is the point of life? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it really fulfilling? Is it really satisfying? Is it really all it's cracked up to be? To do whatever you want to do. I'm willing to bet it's not as stress-free and satisfying as we hope it is when we get to do whatever we want. And so no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, know that this message applies to you. It describes your situation. It explains how you can move forward in maturity to a fulfilling life, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And so we're going to look at these two parts, putting off the old self and putting on the new self and see what this text has for us in on both sides. And so first we're called to put off the old self in verses 17 through 19. And we kind of see a progression here in what Paul is doing. Right? He traced the attitude of when he says the word Gentile, what he really means is non-believer, somebody who is not a believer in Christ. And he traces it back to its source. Right? There's a, a lack of worthy purpose, which we'll get to in a second. It rests on unclear understanding and darkness of mind, which results in separation of, from God, to be alienated from him, a, a sort of deadness of the soul under the judgment of God. And that leads to a recklessness of life, of growing callous and giving themselves up to whatever they want to do, their sinful desires with no self-control, and going deeper and deeper and deeper into that, stopping at nothing to satisfy their desires. So that's the short version of what we're about to see and walk through. So we're going to take kind of a phrase at a time and help us understand what that means. <clears throat> And so first he talks about right, the futility of their thoughts. And this word for futility is actually talks about being a void of a, a goal or a useful aim, sort of meaning you have no purpose. You're not aiming for nothing. There's no foundation. There's no cornerstone. Um, essentially, I mean, we've talked about all the way of building on the foundation of Christ and his, and the, and the, and his cornerstone. But if you're doing this way, you have no, no cornerstone, no foundation, you're basically building a wonky building is what's going to happen. Is It's going to be crooked, it's going to be all over the place, it might even fall down. And so in this, you would have no purpose. And so the question would be, what are you aiming for in life? Or how do you even know what to aim for? Right? But I think this is where the battle begins for all of us. Right? If you don't know what you're aiming for, you're in danger, right? You don't know what to do. Um, then the culture will carry you along. The things of this world will come in and they'll sweep you away. You actually saw this last week when we talked about being tossed around by the waves of the sea, right? That's the culture coming into your life and just saying, this is what everybody's doing now, so we go this way. And then, oh, we changed our minds and now we're going this way. And you just kind of get swept back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because you have no purpose, you have no goal, you have no aim. And so you're just kind of carried along by whatever catches your attention. And so we need a purpose, a direction. 
And then he calls about them, they're darkened in their understanding, referring to comprehending, to reasoning, to intelligence. It's like there's a, a dark shadow that blinds them and hinders them from understanding spiritual things. Right? I thought of it like, like blinders um, for a horse, something that, you can't, that blocks out things so that it doesn't make any sense. So maybe there's something for you that it just doesn't make sense. Right? Maybe that's cooking. Right? When you try to cook, it just doesn't make sense and it never comes out the way it's supposed to come and your cake comes out still as liquid um, and your cookies come out like dark-colored charcoal bricks. Um, and so cookies, it, it just does, baking just doesn't make sense to you. Or maybe it's cars, right? I have a problem with my car. I have no idea what's going on. It just doesn't work. I put the key in, it doesn't go. That's all I know. Somebody else is going to have to take care of that. Or maybe it's computers or smartphones, and you're just like, I have no idea how to do any of that, what the problem is, how to even turn it on, how to use it, any of those things. And that's sort of what this is talking about. It's something that doesn't make any sense to you at all. And so what he's saying is, if you're a non-believer, you are darkened in your understanding, the things of God may not make any sense to you at all. You may not know how it works. You may not understand why are all these people showing up here this morning and singing and praying and teaching from Scripture because it just doesn't make sense. But God can open your eyes to see. But there's no purpose. There's no understanding. And he tells us why. Because of ignorance and because of hard hearts. Right? And we've talked about hard hearts kind of through some of our other series as we've talked. And a hard heart is basically saying you just, God just kind of lets you go in the direction that you are already going. So if you are opposed to him, if you don't want to listen to him, sometimes he just lets you go down that path as far as you can take it. And the result of your ignorance and hard hearts and all of these things is to be callous. Right? And I don't think I have to explain to you what that means. I think we'll all understand the concept of a callus and how it builds up over time and becomes hard and insensitive. And so what he's talking about here is really a spiritual insensitivity or a spiritual unresponsiveness or even a lack of remorse. Right? I've done something I know I'm not supposed to do, but I don't care. I don't feel bad. I don't feel guilty. I have no remorse. I don't care what it did to anybody else. I'm just going to keep doing it. And so for us, even sometimes, or for unbelievers, what essentially happens is this is a repetition of wrong choices that produce a spiritual hardening of the heart. And the result is that their consciousness, right, that voice within you, and for believers we would say that is tied to the Holy Spirit at some level, depending on how much we've calibrated it and how much we listen to the Spirit, right? But that voice inside that says, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't do that. Or you should repent from that or ask for forgiveness. It becomes ineffective in curbing your sin. It goes silent, right? We've talked about a, a couple of weeks ago about the Holy Spirit coming into your life and Jesus coming into your heart and becoming at home, of dwelling within you so that you look more and more like Christ. Well, this is the opposite of that, right? This is, there's nobody home, and you're doing whatever you want all the time, right? That nobody would ever say, that's where Jesus lives in your heart. You're doing whatever. But what usually happens is, 
right? We do something over and over where it's a habit or a sinful behavior or kind of going off the deep end or whatever it is. You do it over and over and over again, and it desensitizes you, and you don't feel it, and you don't think it's a big deal anymore, right? You sear your conscience, and it no longer alerts you to sin and to danger. Maybe it starts with a little white lie, and that worked out well enough, and so you just keep going, and you keep lying, and stretching the truth, and making up stories to fill in the gaps, and before long, you just kind of do that all of the time. Or maybe you're taking a shortcut, and it seemed to work out, and so you just keep doing it again, and again, and again, and again. Or maybe there's something that's an escape for you when you're feeling down, or when you're feeling sad, or you're feeling guilty whether that's drugs or alcohol or food or whatever it is, you're turning to that thing over and over and over again to find fulfillment, to find satisfaction. And after a while, you're just like, this is how it's supposed to be. It's okay. It's not a big deal. And so this callousness of our hearts gets us hard and it prevents us from saying, this is something I shouldn't be doing anymore. But then it keeps going. It says it gave them over to promiscuity or sensuality, to impurity, and to greed. Right? It gave, they gave themselves over to sensuality. Right? This is a, a lack of self-constraint, which sort of means you kind of live in a way that's sometimes not even socially acceptable. You just kind of go out and do whatever. Now, when we, usually for most of us, when we see the word sensuality, um, and other places in Scripture, this is tied to some type of sexual sin. But here, there is no context for that. So this is not just limiting to one area of your life. This is saying this could be true in any area of your life. Right? You could be doing something in excess, out of the ordinary, way out of bounds in any area of your life. And that leads to impurity, right? immoral or excessive actions. Right? You just keep going and going and going, and it ends with actually a greediness. Right? Our, our translation says more and more and more, but some of you probably have greediness in there. And so what it's saying is, you're never able to get enough. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fulfill. <clears throat> One desire leads to the next and to the next, and it goes deeper and darker and more forceful every time. Right? And I think we sort of understand this, and if you've ever been trapped in a bad habit or in a sinful behavior, the first time isn't that bad. It usually isn't a big deal. But the next time, to get the same feel, to get the same results, you have to do a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and a little bit more. And before you know it, you're way off track. You're in danger. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting others. You're trapped in something and you don't know how to get out. And it just keeps pushing you further and further and further and further down to see, get the same satisfaction. And that's where it gets dangerous. But you may be listening to this, especially if you're here this morning, and you're like, that doesn't really sound like my life. I don't really do big things, right, that are crazy out there. I live kind of a normal, quiet life. Um, doing my own thing, kind of living the way I think I should. But for, for us, I don't want us to think of a whole lifestyle of somebody who's just off the deep end going crazy, doing things that we would never do, or even something egregious that you would never do. 
because I actually don't think most of you are doing that. Um, I know most of you well enough to some of the things that we are talking about. I'm not super concerned about that. But I think for all of us, there are small ways, small areas, even daily things where you would say, I do what I want in this area. Or I know this is wrong, but I'm still going to do it. Right? Places where you have essentially a lack of self-control. For you, maybe that's anger. Right? There are certain things and they just make you angry. And you just keep getting angry about the same things. And you get more angry every time because you're like, somebody should have fixed this already. Or somebody should have solved this problem. Or somebody should have made this person be quiet. Or leave me alone. And you just keep getting angry. Or maybe it's gossip. Right? I heard something about somebody and I just want to tell everybody. I want to be in the know. Right? And sometimes that's okay. We do sort of gossiping when we talk about prayer requests, but that's in a good way. Um, but if something isn't helpful, if something isn't kind, if something isn't true, we shouldn't be passing that along. But I know from experience that's way easier to do than we think it is. Or maybe it's judging somebody, right? You don't even have to say anything to anybody to judge someone and what they're doing or what they're saying or how they're living their life in your own mind. So I want us to be careful and actually want us to examine ourselves and see, are there ways, are there things in our life, even if they're small, where we would say, I know this is really not how I'm supposed to be living, but I just want to keep doing it. Right? And where is that going to lead you? How does that line up with what God is calling you to do? And so we are supposed to put that self off to get rid of it, to lay it aside, to lay it behind. And we're constantly dealing with that. And on the flip side, we are called to put on the new self. Right? In verses 20 through 24. This is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and you were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And so the goal for us in this new self is to live by the truth. To live by the truth. Where before Christ or in your life you may have been lost and drifting in your darkened understanding. Now we have a goal. Now we have a purpose. To live according to the truth. The truth that you were created by God long ago when nothing existed. He created everything. The world, the universe, and all that we see and all that is, he created all of that. And that includes you. Not immediately, but eventually you showed up on this earth. And as God's creation, you are loved by him. Not ignored, not cast out, not sent out on your own say, and saying, good luck. I hope you guys figure it out. No, he is loving towards us. He engages with us. But we're also fallen, right? We choose our own thing over and over and over again. 
And it started with Adam and Eve in the garden, the first people, when they made the choice to say, I want to be like God. I want to know what's right and wrong. I want to make my own choices. I want to do things my way. And we're still doing that. Centuries and thousands of years later, we're still saying the same exact thing. I want to do it my way. I want to decide what is right and wrong. I want to tell other people what's right and wrong. Right? But not only are we fallen, but we are also redeemed. Right? That God didn't just leave us there in our brokenness and in our separation from Him, but He sent His Son, Jesus, to live among us, to live a perfect life, and to sacrifice Himself on the cross for our sins so that we could have life, so that we could be renewed, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be made whole. And that is what gives us purpose. That is the truth behind what, how we are living. So when he talks about you were taught, it sort of sounds like he's asking a question, but he's really not asking a question. He's basically telling them, I know you were taught. I know that you understand this. I know that you believe this. I know that it's true. So he wants them to live according to this truth. And then he tells them kind of three main things that they're supposed to do. Right, to take off or put off the old self, to be renewed or to be made new, and then to put on the new self. And I, I think this is also important for us to understand. It sounds sort of like, and when we read kind of through what Paul says, we can be tempted to think, oh, these are commands. These are things that Paul is saying, you must do this thing. But these, the way they're written in the original, um, they're not actually commands. They're not things that you must do. But what Paul is saying, these are things that you will do. If you live by the truth, if you understand who God is, if you understand what Jesus has done for you, if you understand how he has redeemed you and saved you and changed your life, he has brought you out of the darkness and into the light, then you will do these things. You will want to do them because of Jesus. So let's take a closer look at what it looks like to be mature, to live out our purpose, to live in the truth in Christ. So first is to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Now we just talked about kind of what this looks like for a whole bunch of verses, so I'm not going to explain this a lot. But I want us to see here is this 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 term, right? It's corrupted by deceitful desires. And so for your old self, the term I'm going to use is actually progressive corruption. Right? Your old self. And it's born out of what we talked about at the very beginning of Ephesians. Right? That we are all dead. We are all dead in our sins. So when I, I see the word corruption, I'm kind of connecting to that and saying, we're just decaying more, and we're decaying faster. We're corrupted more. We can understand this right now. It's like a virus that spreads and corrupts everything around it, and it just keeps going and going and going and changing and finding new ways to make your life a pain and miserable or whatever you want to call it at this point. And so the more we live as we want, 
the more we live out our own desires without regard to God's standards or how it affects other people, the more this spreads within us. We become more selfish. We become more sinful. I think more dissatisfied, which is what we saw earlier in the old self. So you become more and more corrupted, more and more controlled by sin, more and more broken, more and more hurting. Right? That's what's happening in the old self, progressive corruption. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But then I'm going to skip 23. We're going to skip to 24 because I think these pair better together right next to each other. And to put on the new self. Right? This new self is the renewed self that comes with salvation as you trust in Christ and his work on the cross. That we are recreated with the Spirit and to reflect and to live in the way that God has designed for us to live. And the way this is, is written as well kind of makes it clear. This is not actually us doing most of the work. This is God doing a work in us. He is the only one that can make us new. He is the only one that can make us whole. But what this is talking about is how we partner with what God is doing in us as he makes us new, as he changes us, as he redeems us. It isn't just all him. He asks us to do certain things. And that part is the flip side of progressive corruption. It's progressive sanctification, right? Progressively becoming more like Christ, right? Sanctification is the process of being more holy, being more like Christ. And there's a, a verse in Romans 6 that kind of sums up this idea, kind of the old self and the new self. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that's Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. And so what he's saying is that old self is dead because of what Christ did on the cross. The power and corruption of sin is dead as we trust in him and rely on him and give our lives over to him. So how do we put on our new self? Well, I think one of the ways we do that is by putting on Christ or putting on the message of the gospel in different areas of your life. Right? How does the gospel message impact my marriage? To understand, I'm a sinner, and I'm married to a sinner, and sometimes that's not going to go well, right? And that's okay, because we both understand there are times when we're going to be selfish, and we're going to say things we didn't mean to say, or didn't want to say, or shouldn't have said. It's probably one of those, or all of those three things. Right, but the goal of being married is to say, oh, we've messed up, we've sinned, so seek restoration. To help each other see how we can overcome those and repent and confess and become more holy. We're going to get to this in chapter 5, and I'll talk a lot more about this, but I've always told people when I did premarital counseling with people, the goal of your marriage is not to make you happy. If you're a Christian, the goal of your marriage is to make you holy. Right? It's your job with your spouse to make each other holy, to understand your sin, to deal with your sin, to confess it, and to work through those things together. 
Or what does it look like in the gospel for being retired? Right? I did well. I saved up my money. I can do whatever I want for the rest of my life. Is that how you should live? You just go do whatever you want? Or does God still have a call on your life in those times, in those moments, for how you live? Or how you should work? What does the gospel say about how you should be a worker? Do you work hard? Do you slack off? Are you diligent? Are you not diligent? How do you respond to your coworkers? What does the gospel say about your friendships? What does the gospel say about sickness? Right? Some of you already have diagnoses that weren't great, and some of you have made through those. Some of you are in those. Some of us are about to get some of those because that's how life goes. But how does the gospel message of what Christ has done speak into those moments? I think that's how we put on the new self again and again and again. How does the message of what Christ has done for me apply to this situation that I'm in right now? Because this putting off the old and putting on the new, like I mentioned at the beginning, this is a daily process. It's never settled. Right? What was taken off doesn't stay off. And anyone who's tried to change a habit or tried to stop a sinful behavior or doing a certain thing, you know, you don't just decide, hey, on Tuesday, I'm going to stop doing this. And from Wednesday on, you never do it again, right? It, it just keeps coming back again and again. And you have to deal with that and put it off on a daily basis, which is why Paul talks about dying to yourself daily again and again and again. Right? And on the flip side, not just taking off things every day, but putting on Christ every day. That's also a daily endeavor. Right? Think of it like changing clothes. At the end of the day, you take off your old, dirty clothes or whatever it is, and you put them away. And then usually the next day, you put on new clothes. I think that's a great metaphor for what kind of Paul is talking about. Right? At the end of every day, if we all said, I'm going to put off my old self from today. I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent. I'm going to seek forgiveness. And I'm going to lay it aside. And then when we get up the next day, we put on our new self. And we say, I'm going to put on Christ. I'm going to be sensitive to the Spirit. I'm going to go where He leads me. I'm going to watch my actions. I'm going to listen to what God is calling me to do today. I think if we develop those habits, right, just like taking off clothes and putting them on, if we take off our old sinful selves and put on Christ every day, I think it could be life-changing, even for people who have been believers for longer than I've been alive. I think just that little thing of putting off and putting on on a daily basis will make huge significance in our lives and how we live. But we do all of this Right, which we see in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to be made new. Right? And I think Paul is right here, especially for us in how we are in the world. This begins with our minds and how we think and how we talk to ourselves. Right? This is a direct contrast 
to those in the other category who were categorized by ignorance and by darkened understanding, right? But to be made new, to be able to see clearly. And so the way to battle, the way to be renewed is to be chained, and to be changed is to learn and to grow and to study and to understand God's word. Not just for facts, right? I know a lot of facts about who God is. I know a lot of facts about stories that I read in the Bible. But for life, right? I know this story, and this story applies to my life in this way so that I live differently because what, of what I saw in Solomon, because of what I saw in David, because what I see in Ruth and in Esther, all of which we're studying at some level right now. Right? What do those things mean to how I live my life? And so we do that. But I think there are other ways that we can be renewed in our minds. Um, one of those that wasn't popular a long time ago, but it's becoming more, is actually counseling. Right? I think there's a reason the Holy Spirit is called the Great Counselor. Because sometimes we just need somebody else to talk to, to help us understand, to even help us understand ourselves. And I think it's okay to get help, whether that's a friend or a counselor or the Holy Spirit, to say, I don't know what's going on with me. I keep doing this stuff, and I don't want to do it anymore, and I don't know how to get out, and I need help. Right? And so doing that... I think dealing with our root issues and sins is a way that we become made new, not just, oh, I keep doing this thing, but what causes you to do that? What's behind that? I keep getting angry. Well, what's behind that? Why do you keep getting angry? Is there some reason behind that? Dealing with our root issues and sins and confessing them. Or talking it through with friends, right? That's part of this new community that you have a group of people together who are walking the same walk, who are trying to do the same things. Where if you said, hey, this is where I am, this is where I'm at, this is how I'm trying to live, I feel stuck. Can you help me? That whoever you went to in this room, they would say yes. Let's get together and talk about it and pray about it. And see how the gospel speaks into that thing. Right? Because we are created according to God's likeness, which results in righteousness and purity. That's how we live if we have a purpose, if we follow God, if we seek Him. And in the end, our lives are not characterized by darkness and futility, but by righteousness and truth. We have a purpose. We have understanding. We have help. We have those around us who can walk with us along the way. And as we continually put off the old and put on the new, we will be changed. We will be made new. We will have purpose. We will have fulfillment. We will be satisfied. We will live a life that honors God. Guys, pray with me this morning. God, we come before you. And we thank you for a message about putting off the old and putting on the new. And it's a reminder to all of us that 
though we may, this was settled with salvation, that we will be in Christ. We will be with you for all eternity, but there's still work to do. Our old desires, our old selves, our old thoughts, our old patterns are going to continue to come after us. We have to deal with those. We have to confess those. We have to repent from those. Ask for forgiveness from those so that we can move forward and put on the new self to become more and more like you. To live a life that reflects your love and your mercy and your grace towards us. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we know that what you are asking us to do, what you're calling us to do, the way of life that you're uh, seeking for us is better than anything we could find on our own. Better than anything that we could do on our own. God, so help us to trust in you. To put on the new self daily. It's in your name we pray. Amen.